Good morning. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. When I was a kid, um, the main way that we got information about what was going on in the world was through television. Um, also newspapers, but mostly television. And even that, it was only through, like, there was three major news networks. And when I was a kid, those networks, like the news was only on, like, at certain times of the day. That meant that while we were aware of things like famines or human rights abuses or wars or catastrophes that were going on in the world. At the same time, most of that information was coming at us, you know, it was still pretty limited. Um, but today, because of things like cable news and the 24-hour news cycle and the internet and especially social media, um, we are constantly aware of everything that's happening in the world as soon as it happens. We can't escape it. As a result, do you ever feel a little overwhelmed by all the causes and issues that you're supposed to care about and do something about and make sure that everybody on social media knows that you're doing something about it? Why do we feel that way? One reason is because we have this deep intuition that we should be working together to make this world a better place. But another reason is that we all want to feel good about ourselves. We have a, a deep need as human beings for things like worth, value, love, and belonging. And as human beings, one of the main ways we seek that is through our performance. 
So that if we're doing certain things, then we feel good about ourselves. But if we're not doing those things or not doing them as well as we think we should or not doing them as well as other people are, and we know because they're posting it on social media, then we feel horrible about ourselves. Do you you see the tension here? On the one hand, we know we should be working together to make the world a better place. But on the other hand, we have all kinds of conflicting emotions that are wrapped up in this. So what do we do about all of this? Why should we serve other people? And is there a way to serve others that actually brings greater wholeness and health and well-being, not just to our own lives, but to the whole world? We are beginning a sermon series today in which we're asking this basic question, why should Christians serve? And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a few different answers to that question. This morning, we're looking at the most basic reason that Christians should serve other people. What is that reason? Well, let's take a look at this passage and find out what Jesus shows us. Jesus shows us three things in this passage this morning. He shows us the problem of service, the heart of service, and the secret of service. Okay, the problem, um, the heart, and the secret of service. First, Jesus shows us the problem of service. And some of you um, observant people may be noticing, hey, isn't this a parable? And didn't we just finish a series on the parables? And the answer is, it is, and we did. I'm giving you a bonus parable this morning. (laughs) But here's the setting. A lawyer comes up to test Jesus. Now, he may have seen Jesus welcoming sinners, eating with them, and he may be thinking to himself, hmm, Jesus doesn't seem to take the law very seriously because he's not requiring anything of these people. And so he wants to put Jesus to the test. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This lawyer has a a moralistic worldview that says, if I'm a good person, not like these sinners over here, then God will love me and accept me because of my moral performance. Jesus wants to deconstruct his moralistic worldview, but the way he does it is by playing along for a little bit. He says, oh, you want to talk about the law? Okay, let's go there. He says, tell me, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer cites two of the most famous commandments in the Bible. It's a, it's a very famous summary of the whole religious law. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you got it. He says, do this and you will live. Now, at this point, you can see that this lawyer is really starting to squirm under the weight of what Jesus is saying here because he doesn't want to give up his moralistic worldview. So it says that he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Notice he wanted to justify himself. Friends, remember, we all have a deep need for things like worth, value, love, and belonging. As human beings, we can't live without that. And one of the main ways we seek that is through our performance. We're like the lawyer in this passage. We we feel a deep burden to justify ourselves. The problem is we can never do it. No matter how hard we try, we can never perform our way and earn our way into the worth, value, love, and belonging that our hearts so desperately need. 
that no matter how hard we try, we can't perform our way into those things. That's why Jesus tells this parable. One of the main things we need to see is that in this parable, Jesus is confronting our inability to justify ourselves. So, for instance, in this series, we're talking about service. Why should we serve other people? Think about all the different possible motivations that we could have in our hearts for serving other people. One of the most basic and common motivations is pride. And, of course, pride always carries with it the danger that would lead us to things like self-righteousness and superiority and contempt of others and condemnation of others. For instance, I saw a documentary some years ago about the musical Hamilton, And in that documentary, at one point, they were talking about the slaveholding practices of the founding fathers. And they asked a very famous politician about this subject. Now, when they asked that politician the question, I just automatically assumed that this person was going to say, well, you know the big takeaway here is that we should always be aware of our own blindness for our own capacity for moral failure. That's, That's the big lesson. Instead, what they basically ended up saying was something like, you know what, they really were horrible people, and we're so much more morally enlightened than they were. Now, two shocks came to me at that point. Um, The number one shock was this. I thought to myself, how blind could they be? I was shocked at their answer. The second shock was I realized that I myself was doing the very same thing that I was judging and criticizing them for. I was feeling superior to them. How blind could they be? I would never do that. Friends, pride is always lurking in our hearts, and pride always carries the danger for self-righteousness, superiority, um, for contempt of others, for condemnation of others. It's one of the basic motivations in our heart for serving other people. Another very common motivation would be things like pride, I mean, not pride, but fear and guilt. So, for instance, I was listening to a podcast pretty recently, um, and this podcast interviews people who are deconstructing faith. If you don't know what that is, that um, is generally people who grew up in the church, um, typically pretty legalistic, fundamentalist churches, but who no longer attend church and very often have abandoned faith in God altogether. And so in this particular podcast, they were interviewing a young woman who no longer attended church uh, or believes in God, And she was talking about her upbringing and all the ways that the church has damaged her and the lies that had gotten woven into her heart over the years. And at one point, she said something that really grabbed my attention. She said that she grew up with this expectation that I have to die for a cause, and that's the only way I'll ever be loved. That message had just gotten woven into her heart. It had shaped her whole life and corroded her whole life. And you know, over the years, I've talked to lots of young people who've grown up in church with this same message that says, you have to live a missional life, a sacrificial, devoted, committed life. You have to give yourself to this cause for Jesus. Now, listen, that's true. I mean, we were just talking about this last week. When you become a Christian, God does call you into his mission in this world. The problem is very often there's another message that gets woven into that message that says unless you live a radical, sacrificial life, unless you give yourself completely to this cause, then you can never be loved. Fear and guilt are another major motivation that we can have for serving other people in this world, but it's corrosive in our life. 
Let me mention one more potential motivation, and this is another big one. Um, I saw a video some years ago of George Lucas, the creator of Star Wars, talking about the basic philosophy behind the Star Wars movies. And here's what he said. He says, the bottom line in Star Wars is that there are two kinds of people in the world, compassionate people and selfish people. Selfish people live on the dark side. Compassionate people live on the light side. If you go to the light, you will be happy because compassion, helping other people, not thinking about yourself, thinking about others, that gives you a joy that you can't get any other way. Being selfish, though, always entertaining yourself with pleasure and buying things and doing stuff, you're always going to be unhappy. Now listen, George Lucas, he's not here. We can't have a roundtable conversation with him about this. But this is one of the main narratives in our culture. Be a good person. Why? Because it will make you happy. Because it will give you joy. Do you see? That is still a selfish, self-centered motive for helping other people. It's, you're not really doing it for them. You're not really doing it for God. You're really doing it for yourself because it will make you happy. Friends, we all have um, this deep need, and it's a good need, to feel worth and love and belonging and dignity and value as human beings. And, and one of the main ways, though, that, that we seek that is through our performance. The problem is we can never get those things through our performance. One of the main things Jesus is doing in this parable is confronting our inability to justify ourselves. And that leads to our next point. Jesus has shown us the problem of service, but the next thing he shows us is the heart of service. Because if pride, fear, guilt, selfishness, and self-centeredness, if those things are unhealthy, dysfunctional motivations for serving other people in the world, then the question is, what is a healthy motivation? Is there a motivation for serving others that really can lead to wholeness and flourishing, not just in our lives, but in the world? The answer is, yes, there is, and Jesus shows us. He tells this parable. He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, the road to Jericho is a real road. It's hard to see, but it's going along right there. And it was notoriously dangerous in the ancient world. There were all kinds of twists and turns and rocks and caves for robbers to hide in. So this is a real-life scenario anybody in Jesus' audience would have known. Oh, this is a dangerous road. So first, in the parable, along comes a priest, and then along comes a Levite. A Levite was like a priestly assistant. So these are not just religious people. These are religious professionals. In that world, they would have been expected to stop and give aid to the guy lying in the ditch. But instead, when they see the guy lying in the ditch, instead of going over to his side of the road, they pass by on the other side. But then, Jesus says, a Samaritan comes along, sees the guy lying in the ditch and goes over to his side of the road and gives him help. Now, many of you probably know this, that in the ancient world, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. Jews considered Samaritans to be religious outsiders. They considered them um, uh, racial outsiders and religious heretics. It's kind of like Jesus is saying, like, if you lean um, left politically. It's kind of like Jesus is saying that, and then along came a, um, an old white 
straight cisgender man with a MAGA hat on and gave him aid. Or if you lean left, it's kind of, or if you lean right, I mean, it's kind of like Jesus is saying, but then a democratic socialist came along and gave him aid. Jesus is saying, whatever group you hate the most, imagine that's the, the people who stopped to give aid to the guy in the ditch. This is brilliant storytelling, and it shows us that our modern tendency to divide the world into in-groups and out-groups, and then put the people we hate into the out-groups, that that's not just a modern thing. That's actually part of the human condition. So, for instance, um, Alan Jacobs is a professor at Baylor University. In one of his books, he tells a story about an anthropologist named Susan Friend Harding. There's a picture of her. Um, Susan Friend Harding, as an anthropologist, she wanted to study fundamentalist evangelicals. She was just curious about them and wanted to know more about them, people like Jerry Falwell and the religious right. But when she told her fellow anthropologists about this idea, all of a sudden they got very suspicious of her. They started asking her questions like, are you now or have you ever been a born-again Christian? They couldn't understand why in the world she would want to study people who are so obviously morally repugnant. And in fact, the way they treated her was so extreme that she ended up writing a whole different essay about it. She called it the problem of the repugnant cultural other. Isn't that a great phrase? The repugnant cultural other. I love that. Um, repugnant cultural other or RCO for short. Is there an RCO in your life? You know, this is somebody with whom you don't just disagree with that person. You find them morally repugnant. These are people you see as being so evil, so aligned with the forces of darkness in this world that you divide the world into in-groups and out-groups, and then you put them in the out-group. These are people that they no longer qualify as human beings. And when we stop seeing people as human beings, we stop treating people as human beings. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Remember, he's telling this story to a Jewish audience, and yet he's made the hero of the story an RCO. This is somebody who's in their out group. But what about the Samaritan? I mean, um, what about the guy in the ditch? The guy who got robbed and left for dead? What is he? Is he in group or out group? Well, he's naked, so we can't tell by the way he's dressed. And he's unconscious, so we can't tell by the way he talks. How does the Samaritan um, figure out whether the guy in the ditch is in-group or out-group? The answer is, he doesn't. And that's the point. That's what Jesus is doing in this story. He's saying, there is no out-group or in-group. He's saying, if there's a human being in need, that person is your neighbor. There is no in-group or out-group. If it's a human being, it's your neighbor. It doesn't matter who it is. If they are human and they are in need, they are your neighbor. So here's the question. What motivated the Samaritan to do what he did? Was it fear or guilt or selfishness? Was it pride? Was he thinking, hey, if I'm a good person and I um, live a noble, virtuous life, then God will welcome me into his kingdom? Is that what he's thinking? No, it was none of those things. Notice what Jesus says. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. 
Now that word compassion, I want to tell you the Greek word, um, and the only reason is because it's just a fun word to say. The Greek word is splanknon. Can you say that? Splanknon. The Samaritan is somebody who goes around splanking people. <laughs> Not spanking them, splanking them. It's a word that refers to a deep, overwhelming emotion that's down in your innards, in your intestines. In fact, when the old King James translation of the Bible wants to talk about this emotion, it will say things like, oh, how my bowels are moved within me. This is a, a, a word that refers to a deep emotion that's down in your gut. In fact, the way I like to describe uh, or define this word is, is like this. I translate it gut love because that's what it is. Splanknon, compassion, is, is gut love. Friends, the, the motivation for the Samaritan in this parable is not pride or fear or guilt or selfishness. It's not earning or performing his way into the love of God. It's expressing the love of God, the splanknon gut love of God for human beings. Friends, the only motivation for serving other people that can really lead to greater health and healing and wholeness in our world is this compassionate gut love. And the only thing you need to know about your neighbor is, are they a human being? And if the answer is yes, then they are worthy of your compassion because they are created in the image of God. And that leads to our next point. We've seen, first, the problem of service that we can never really justify ourselves. Second, Jesus has showed us the heart of service. It's this compassionate gut love. But lastly, Jesus shows us the secret of service. Because here's the big question. How does this compassion grow in our hearts? Is this like a, a virtue that we just cultivate within ourselves in our own power and strength? Or is there some other way this happens? Well, think about it. One of the most amazing um, and brilliant parts of the story is this. If Jesus had made the guy in the ditch a Samaritan, and then the hero who saves him, if he had made that character a Jewish person, then any Jewish person listening to this story would naturally have just identified with the hero of the story. Jesus would be saying, imagine yourself as the noble, virtuous hero in this story. But Jesus doesn't do that. Remember, you know, we said he doesn't identify the guy in the ditch, but any Jewish person listening to this story, when they hear about somebody who was beaten and left for dead in a ditch, they would have immediately identified with the person in the ditch. Jesus is saying, I want you to identify with the person in the ditch. He's saying the same thing to us, to identify with the guy in the ditch. Jesus is basically saying, imagine you were beaten and dumped in a ditch and left for dead, but your only hope of rescue was from a hated enemy who had every reason to pass you by, but instead they came over to your side of the road and they poured out all of their resources upon you in a display of extravagantly costly love. Wouldn't you want that person to be a neighbor to you? The answer is, of course you would. Jesus is saying, I want you to identify with that person. If something like that happened to you, that would transform your heart forever so that the next time you saw someone in need, you would instinctively feel this compassionate gut love, the same thing the Samaritan felt. The question is, has anybody ever come over your side of the road like that? You know, in the Bible, 
there are a lot of places where it describes the different emotions that Jesus had in his own life. But by far, the, the most common emotion attributed to Jesus is this compassionate gut love. Whenever Jesus sees someone in need, gut love. Whenever Jesus sees someone hurting or wounded or oppressed, gut love. Jesus wants us to identify with the guy in the ditch, but, but who is this heroic Samaritan in this story? Who is this person who is hated and rejected by all? Who is this person who, um, instead of passing by on the other side of the road, he comes over to your side of the road? Who is this person who um, pours out all of his resources and, and shows people grace in a display of extravagantly costly love? Don't you see? It's Jesus. When Jesus came to earth, Jesus came over to your side of the road. Because Jesus isn't just a good Samaritan. Jesus is the ultimate Samaritan. And the ultimate place that he shows us gut love is on the cross. Because on the cross, unlike the Samaritan, Jesus didn't just risk his life to show us compassion. Jesus gave his life. He didn't just risk his life to get us out of a ditch. Jesus gave his life. He was thrown into a tomb in order to get us out of a ditch. Because on the cross, Jesus became the one who was beaten. Jesus was stripped naked on the cross. Jesus took a spear in the gut because he loved us from the gut. Jesus loved us from the gut. And the oil of his love, the wine of his blood, he poured out all of that upon us to heal us from all the ways that we fail to love God and love our neighbor. Do you know what that is? That's grace. Because, dear ones, we do fail. We don't love God. We don't love our neighbor the way we ought to. We're constantly falling into the ditch of pride, fear, guilt, shame, anger, contempt, self-righteousness, self-pity, um, superiority, all of those things. We're constantly falling into those ditches, and we need somebody to come and rescue us up out of that ditch. Do, do you know what that means? If, if you're somebody, do you know, if you know that you're in a ditch, then it is, grace is a, a tremendous comfort and encouragement to your heart. Because grace means this, it means you can never be so bad that God is inclined to reject you. Grace means you can never be so bad God is inclined to reject you. It doesn't matter how deep a ditch you've fallen into, you can never be so deep that God's gut love can't pull you up out of it. You realize the implications of this? You know, we, um, in our culture, we love the idea of grace because we love things like tolerance and inclusion and um, forgiveness and compassion and things like that. We love those things. And especially, we like to think oursel of ourselves as the noble bestowers of grace because it helps us to feel good about ourselves. But have we ever really considered what it means to be recipients of grace? You know, we'll say things like, well, of course, I have my own faults and shortcomings. But in our heart of hearts, we tend to think of ourselves as better than other people. We tend to, to feel really sanguine and confident about our own moral uprightness. But if that's the case, that means that grace, real grace, has never really penetrated our heart. Because yes, grace means that you can never be so bad God is inclined to reject you. But if that's true, grace also means that you can never be so good that God is obliged to accept you. 
Grace means you can never be so bad God is inclined to reject you, but you can never be so good that God is inclined, I mean, obliged to accept you. In other words, your badness can never block God's love, but your goodness can never earn God's love. And on the cross, Jesus came over to your side of the road in order to show you a display of costly, extravagant grace. Friends, the only motivation that can really um, empower us to live lives of sacrificial service to the people around us is grace. Because only grace can cultivate this compassionate gut love in our hearts. And so if that's true, let me offer you just briefly a couple of concluding thoughts by way of application. And the first one is this. First, listen to your emotions. And especially listen to the difficult emotions, the things like pride, guilt, fear, superiority, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, anger, contempt, things like that. You know, as religious people have a tendency to run away from emotions and especially to run away from difficult, challenging emotions like that, Because we think, well, we're not supposed to feel those kinds of things. It's sinful to feel those emotions. So we just run away from that. But on the other side of the spectrum, in our culture, we have a tendency to just um, say, whatever you're feeling, that's the real you. Just express your emotions. Let it rip. But the Bible gives us a very different way with our emotions. It's not denying our emotions, and it's not bowing down to our emotions. Instead, the Bible says, listen to your emotions, because your emotions are showing you what your heart is doing with God. Your emotions are revealing your ditches to you. They're showing you how your heart is responding to God. Is there place and time in your life regularly where you're able to sit down and actually listen to your emotions like this? I want to encourage you to make time in your life for this kind of thing. And if you're wondering, well, what does that mean and what does that look like? Well, keep coming back. In the fall, we're actually going to do a whole sermon series on the book of Numbers, which is all about what it means to follow Jesus as a disciple, especially in challenging and difficult circumstances. We'll talk more about this. But the first thing I would encourage you is to just spend time listening to your challenging emotions because they show you what your heart is doing with God. Secondly, practice compassion. Emphasis on the word practice. It's not something we're doing perfectly. We practice doing this because remember, yes, Jesus is showing us in this parable that we can never really justify ourselves. But at the very end, what does he say? Go and do likewise. He still says, do this, live like this. Practice compassion. That means you know, maybe you're going to end up saving somebody's life, but most of the time, look, it's not really a big deal. A smile. Letting somebody else go in front, of li- in front of the line in front of you. Little things like that can change somebody's day. They could change somebody's week. But while you're practicing compassion like this, it's forming the compassion in your hearts because the, the gut love of Jesus has already been bestowed upon you by Jesus. And while you're practicing the compassion, take time to listen to the other emotions that are going on in your heart at that moment, the pride, the grumbling, (laughs) you know, the self-pity, the self-righteousness, all of that stuff. While you're doing the compassion, let it show you what your heart is doing with God. Friends, listen to your emotions. Let them show you what your heart is doing with God. And when you're doing that, say, Jesus, thank you for coming over to my side of the road 
Now help me go over to this person's side of the road and show them gut love because you, Lord Jesus, have already showed me gut love by grace. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you for your gut love that you came over to our side of the road through the person of Jesus Christ who died on a cross, was thrown in a tomb in order to get us out of a ditch. Lord, we pray this morning that you would help us to see and to experience more and more your compassionate gut love in our life. I pray that you would help us to, um, to see the ditches of our life, to listen to our emotions, to, to listen to what they're showing us about um, what our hearts are doing with you. And I pray... Lord, that um, in the midst of all of that, that you would help us to move out into the world as recipients of grace and that you would help us to show compassionate gut love to every human being around us. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.